Let's pray for our catechumens. Then will I sprinkle clean water upon you, and ye shall be clean. Almighty and everlasting God, who does continually enrich thy church with a new offspring, increase the faith and understanding of our catechumens, that they, being born again in the water of baptism, may be numbered among the sons of thine adoption. And through Christ our Lord. Amen. Amen. <coughs> so today we're going to do B to B93. How to prepare for pasta. Steve in Great Lent. It's almost here. Every year the church gives us an incredible opportunity to refocus our lives on Christ. Through fasting, more prayer, more almsgiving, more services in the church as we prepare to celebrate the Lord's glorious resurrection on Easter or Pascha. But the church knows that we can't just jump into Lent head first. So the church leads us into the intensity of Lent with three extra weeks of preparation. That's right, we prepare to prepare. These weeks leading up to the resurrection, including those three weeks leading up to the beginning of Great Lent itself, are called the Fidiobi Lent, which comes from the name of the book of hymns we use in church during those weeks. It all starts with the Sunday of the Publican and the Pharisee, which we celebrated a few Sundays ago. The following Sunday, we read the parable of the prodigal son, and the Sunday after that, we read about Christ the Almighty separating the sheep from the goats on the Sunday of Judgment. And finally, on Forgiveness Sunday, on the day before Great Lent starts, before we even start fasting, we begin our journey to the resurrection by asking for forgiveness of each other during Forgiveness Vespers. So that's the Fidiobion in a nutshell. But we should take a closer look at the kind of preparation we need to more fully enter into Lent, and what those first four Sundays teach us. On the first three Sundays of the Fidiobion period, the Gospel readings present us with opposing pairs. The publican and the Pharisee, the prodigal son and his older brother, the sheep and the goats, and how those pairs relate to each other and to God. Let's consider the first two readings in particular. Both the publican and the prodigal strayed from God, being driven not by love of others, but by greed, desire, and selfishness. The publican stealing money as a tax collector, and the prodigal son wasting his inheritance, eating, drinking, and being enslaved by his broken passions. Yet despite their sins, both the publican and the prodigal son approached God the Father with repentance in their humility, recognizing their sins and trusting fully in the mercy of God. Both the publican and the prodigal lost their way, but found themselves again with repentance. And the contrast is really interesting because, at least on the surface, both the Pharisee and the older brother never left the house of God. Unlike the publican and the prodigal, these two were not tempted by a working life, and at least in their minds, did everything that God asked of them. The problem is that their view of a relationship with God excluded a relationship with others. They were so concerned with their own righteousness that they didn't see their neighbors or their brothers as worthy of forgiveness or mercy. And because of their coldness and inability to love their brother, they broke their relationship with their father. Like the older brother in the parable of the prodigal son, they stubbornly remained outside the feast, in self-imposed exile. In these two Sundays of preparation, we see the two basic temptations that we can fall into. On the one extreme, to forget God and neighbor, by giving in to our own passions and lusts. And on the other extreme, to shut out God and neighbor, by giving in to our pride and arrogance. And each of these readings gives us an example of humility and repentance to imitate when we realize that we've also fallen into these temptations in our hearts. But our sins don't simply have consequences within us. They affect our relationships as well. So the reading on the third Sunday of the Theodion gives us ways to heal our distorted relationships with God and neighbor. Jesus separates the sheep from the goats 
He tells the sheep that they fed him when he was hungry, that they gave him drink when he was thirsty. And when the sheep on the right hand reply, Lord, when did we see you? He says to them, as you did it to one of the least of these, my brethren, you did it to me by caring for our neighbor, especially those who suffer. Selflessly, without any thought of ourselves, we overcome the temptation that the publican and the prodigal fell into, the temptation of worldliness and selfishness. And we overcome the temptation of the Pharisee and the older brother, the temptation of arrogantly shutting others out by valuing them and showing mercy on them. In doing so, those on the right, the sheep, not only have the right relationship with their neighbor, but with God as well. Because Christ, by uniting within himself humanity and divinity, makes it so that showing love on our fellow human beings is showing love for God. We spent three weeks setting up these pairs, publican and Pharisee, prodigal son and older brother, sheep and goats. Yet in practice, it's hard to say that any of us are uniquely one or the other. On a day-to-day basis, we're both. We're sheep and we're goats. We're people struggling to draw closer to God, yet stumbling along the way. And that's why, as Lent finally begins with Forgiveness Vespers, our greatest act of preparation is to bow down before God and neighbor, to ask for forgiveness and to receive it, to realize that we can't save ourselves or heal ourselves. It's to put ourselves back in the proper relationship with others, asking for the prayers of our neighbor and the great mercy and forgiveness of God. Because Great Lent isn't a struggle we go through on our own. It's a struggle not simply to be better people, but to be people, connected with each other and with the Lord. To remember that salvation is not something we earn, as the Pharisees seem to think, but something we receive from God despite our unworthiness. Yet, no matter how low we may fall, no matter how much like the prodigal son we may become, God is always there always ready to lift us out of the darkness, to lift us back into the light and into life everlasting. So let's be the bee and set aright our relationship with God and neighbor. Be the bee and live orthodoxy. Remember to like and subscribe and share. I'll see you all next week. Thanks to our supporters on Patreon who helped make this episode possible. To support the creation of more Orthodox Christian content, please visit patreon.com slash y2am. Okay. So. We have a little bit of difference between um, Western Rite and Eastern Rite. Western Rite, we don't do Sunday the Pharisee and the Publican, do we? Or, or Sunday the Prodigal Son. So let, I want to talk today about um, what is different, and, and then I want to kind of get into some of the themes that he talked about for the Eastern Rite, uh, because that's what you'll read about in books and things of that nature if you're reading about Orthodoxy. Yeah. So our Western Rite pre-Lent, we have three Sundays of pre-Lent, including today. Right. So, t- two Sundays ago was. Everybody remember? Well, the the name of it was Septuagesima, which means seventy days. And then last week was Sexagesima, which was sixty days. Today was Quinquagesima, which is fifty days. All right. And then our Lent begins on Ash Wednesday of this week. All right. Now Eastern Rite actually has four Sundays. They have the Triodion. Um, which is 
the Pharisee and the publican, the prodigal son, uh, the Sunday of the Last Judgment, which is also called Meat Fair Sunday, and then today was Forgiveness Sunday, which is also called Cheese Fair Sunday. Um, and then tonight, or depending on the, the parish, they'll either have it right after liturgy or, or they'll come back tonight and have Forgiveness Vespers. It's Vespers of, of Bright Monday. Lent in the Eastern Rite begins on Bright Monday, not Ash Wednesday. And Lent for the Vespers for Bright Monday is called Forgiveness Vespers. And it's a beautiful ceremony in which at the end of it, everyone lines up around the church. And the first person starts and goes down the line saying, forgive me my, you know, forgive me my brother for anything I might have done for, during the year. Right? And then it goes all the way until everybody has asked forgiveness of everybody else in the church. Um, I'll tell you one of the most interesting times I did that service was at the seminary, and we had um, the recently passed Cardinal Law was with us in the chapel. And it came time to, uh, to kneel, and he knelt, and somebody says, You don't see Cardinals kneel. Right? Because... Anyway, but, uh, but it's a very moving service, and it's, um, I kind of prefer it when it's done later in the evening, because that way it's all the people who actually mean it, uh, who come back, as opposed to forcing everybody to just kind of go through the motions after liturgy, because they really want to get to Luby's. So, uh, um, but that's forgiveness of Vespers. So why, why do, why does our Western Lent begin on a different day? Then Eastern Lent, if they're both 40 days. I was going to ask you that. Well, that's a good question, Kent. In the West, we, we count Lent as 40 days before Easter, not including Sundays. Sundays are a feast of the resurrection, always. So we don't count them in Lent. That's why Father said the Lenten fast runs Monday through Saturday. Sunday does not count as part of Lent in the West. Okay? In the East, they count 40 days before Palm Sunday, mm. including Sundays. So for them, Lent begins on a Monday. And then Holy Week is counted as separate from Lent. Right? And if anything, the fasting is more severe and more, you know, more intense. Um, and quite frankly, a lot of people who forgot to fast during Lent, oh, it's Holy Week, I better fast. <laughs> That's okay. We know the Paschal Sermon of St. John Chrysostom. He says, if you fasted 40 days, that's great, come to the feast. If you forgot to fast, that's okay, come to the feast. All right. Um, what is the purpose of fasting? What's the purpose of fasting? I'm going to write the word relationships up here because... Steve mentioned it a lot. And it does have a lot to do with, with Lent. Lent is all about restoring relationships. So how does fasting restore our relationship? When it, it, um, your relationship with food, you realize how overblown you've gotten over the years since last Lent and helps you refocus on what your body really needs to survive versus what your body wants to survive. How? Um, I forget the monk that said, um, you know, we need to make sure that we, we eat to live, we don't live to eat. 
and a lot of us live to eat. Especially if it's comfort food, if it, especially if that's the one thing in which we find pleasure. You know, we may not have anything else going in life, but I've got that, you know, good food going. Um, I was over at a priest's house one time, and he he was a cook. He owned a restaurant. I mean, and uh, so he, he, you know, is big into food. And he's sitting there watching the Food Channel. And I said, Father, answer me this. I said, how is the Food Channel any different for gluttons than the Playboy Channel is for those who lust? And he's like, shh, shh, shh the, the chocolate show's coming on. <laughs> right? <laughs> but it is. I mean, you know, we love to eat. And, and that's one of the things in our society that, that we... We embrace. We embrace good food. We embrace cooking. We embrace, you know, uh, you know, great meals. But uh, Lent helps us reset that. Um, if you ever go to a monastery, the way they eat, one, it's very simple. Um, two, it's very quick. They only allow about 30 minutes to eat. And while you're eating, somebody is reading either scripture or the fathers or some other reading. So take your mind off. You're not there to enjoy the food. Um, you're, you're eating to live, not living to eat. Okay. Um, I want to read real quick just the three Gospels that are read on the Pharisee and the publican and the prodigal son and the last judgment. So the, the Pharisee and the publican is Luke chapter 18 verses 10 through 14. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood and prayed thus with himself, God, I thank thee that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even as this tax collector. I fast twice a week, I give tithes of all that I possess. And the tax collector, standing afar off, would not so much as raise his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner, I tell, thee, I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who exalts, humbles himself will be exalted. Then the prodigal son is, then Jesus said, A certain man had two sons, and the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the portion of the goods that falls to me. So he divided to them his livelihood. And not many days after, the younger son gathered all together, journeyed to a far country, and there wasted his possessions with prodigal living. But when he had spent all, there arose a, serious, a severe famine in that land, and he began to be in want. Then he went and joined himself to a citizen of that country, and he sent him into his fields to feed swine. And he would gladly have filled his stomach with the pods that the swine ate, and no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have bread enough and to spare, and I perish with hunger? I will arise and go to my father, and will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you, and I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. And he arose and came to his father, but when he was still a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion, and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight, and am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Bring out the best robe and put it on him, and put a ring on his hand and sandals on his feet. And bring the fatted calf here and kill it, and let us eat and be merry. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to be merry. Now his older son was in the field, and as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing. 
So he called one of the servants and asked him what these things meant. And he said to him, Your brother has come, and because he has received him safe and sound, your father has killed the fatted calf. But he was angry and would not go in. Therefore his father came out and pleaded with him. So he answered and said to his father, Lo, these many years I have been serving you. I have never transgressed your commandment at any time. And yet you never gave me a young goat, much that I may make merry with my friends. But as soon as this young son of yours came, who has devoured your livelihood with harlots, you killed the fatted calf for him. And he said to him, Son, you are always with me, and all that I have is yours. It was right that we should make merry and be glad, for your brother was dead and is alive again, and was lost and is found. That's Luke 15, 11 through 32. And then the last judgment is, uh, when the Son of Man comes in his glory, and all the holy angels with him, then he will sit on the throne of his glory. <coughs> all the nation will be gathered before him, and he will separate them one from another. Oh, excuse me. Uh, as a shepherd divides his sheep from the goats, and he will set the sheep on his right hand, but the goats on the left. Then the king will say to those on his right hand, Come, you blessed of my father. Inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you took me in. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him, saying, Lord, when did we see thee hungry, and feed thee, or thirsty, and give thee drink? When did we see thee a stranger, and take thee in, or naked, and clothe thee? When, or when did we see thee sick, or in prison, and come to thee? And the king will answer and say to them, Surely I say to you, inasmuch as you did it to the one of the least of my brethren, you did it to me. Then he will also say to the woes on his left hand, Depart from me, you cursed, into the everlasting fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, and you gave me no food. I was thirsty, and you gave me no drink. I was a stranger, and you did not take me in. Naked, and you did not clothe me. Sick and in prison, and you did not visit me. Then they will also answer him, saying, Lord, when did we see thee hungry or thirsty or stranger or naked or sick or in prison and did not minister to thee? Then he will answer them, saying, Assuredly, I say to you, inasmuch as you did not do it to one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. And these will go away into everlasting punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. So we have these three pairings, right? We have the Pharisee. And over here we have the public. We have the prodigal son. And we have the older brother. <clears throat> Let's do that the other way. I don't think those belong on the same side, do they? How about over here we have the older brother? <laughs> And we have the prodigal son. And Steve doesn't really mention it, but over here we have the goats. And over here we have the sheep. Now, he does mention something interesting about the first two. According to the views of society, at least in these first two, who are the righteous? ones on the left, right? Pharisee is a very upstanding citizen in the community. Religious leader, top of the heap. Has a very long phylactery with long tassels, you know, it looks good, it looks sharp, right? 
And then you've got the older brother. And the older brother's right. He did what he was supposed to. You know? Younger brother ran off, did what, you know, took, took half of his dad's stuff. I mean, when it says divided the living, he had to, you know, if he was dividing the, the estate in half, he had to sell half the estate and give it to the son. And he ran off with it. And did what? Wasted it. Squandered it. Right? So, yeah. Older brother, very easy to sympathize with him, right? And then you have the goats. There were the goats. The goats, well, I mean, we're all of these at one time or another. Well, there were the goats. Remember in Scrooge, they come up to him at the very beginning and they're saying, you know, we need a donation for the poorhouse. He says, don't I pay taxes? Isn't that somebody else's job? You know? Those are the goats. Those are the goats who think it's somebody else's job to feed the hungry. Those are the goats who think it's somebody else's job to go visit somebody in prison. Clothe the naked. Right? It's very easy to think that, isn't it? Why don't we pay taxes? Isn't that somebody else's job? I have all these other things I have to do. It's very easy to be a goat. And to think you're doing okay. That's the worst part. Older brother thought he was doing okay. He was. He was doing what he was supposed to. But when push came to shove, what? He wasn't as good as he thought, was he? Same with the Pharisee. Pharisee, oh, I'm doing great. Look, God, thank you. I'm so glad I'm not like that pond scum over there. Because remember, what's a publican? He was a tax collector. How did tax collectors work back then? Same way they work today. They come around to your house, we're going to need some money. If you don't give us money, we're going to beat you up. <laughs> Same way it works today. With the IRS. You need our money, you're going to jail. Right? So, how, how could this possibly be the good guy? Because he knew he wasn't the good guy. And he tried to, he was going to try to do something about it. That's what Lent's about. Lent is about stopping, trying to exclude all the details, trying to get rid of all the extraneous stuff that distracts us. A lot of people quit Facebook during Lent. I would, except it's the only way I communicate with the outside world, so. <laughs> but a lot of people do. They, they're like, you'll see a bunch of people, you know, today or tomorrow. Hey, I'm signing off for 40 days. I'll see you after, after Pasco. That's a good thing. You know, if you can do that, that's great. Um, a lot of people, you know, put off TV, put off whatever. We don't, in, in, in orthodoxy, we don't pick something to give up. Why is that? We all engage in the fast together. Why is that? Unity is the body of Christ. We're all doing the same thing. It's much easier to support each other, isn't it? You know, I don't, you know, I, one year I gave up Dr. Pepper for one. That's <laughs> pretty good. It is your Dr. Pepper. Alcohol was easy. Dr. Pepper. <laughs> 
But that would be hard for somebody to understand if they didn't know my struggle that I have. Whatever my hand, you know. But if we're all struggling with the same fast, then it's much easier to support each other because we know exactly what everybody else is going through, right? It may affect us all differently. We can share that with each other, right? But we also then don't get into this. Oh well, I gave up more than you did. Because <laughs> how does that make it fly? Mm -hmm. Right? Do we go around talking about what we are fast during life? No. Oh, well, I was in the grocery store and I was making sure to check all the labels of the food that I was buying and to make sure that no single ingredient was on the list. Uh, you hear that more in Eastern Rite churches because they have to give up dairy and, you know, and they all give up the same thing, but their fast is a little stricter than ours. They give up meat, dairy, even, you know, fish, uh, except for certain days. Hmm? Eggs. Oil. The one time I ever had fish for breakfast. <laughs> was at a monastery on Mount Athos and it was a feast day and we'd been fasting up till then and we had and we got up at four in the morning. Liturgy was over by about seven. And we had fish for breakfast and it was some of the best fish I've ever had. Because <laughs> <laughs> you know the monks don't eat meat all year round. They basically keep the fast all year round. <coughs> so at least meat wise. When you were at I guess it's when you were at seminary, mm -hmm. and Father Anthony had given up alcohol. Oh boy. And so, after Easter service, I was subdeacon, and Joe Lopez was therapist. And he grabbed us, and he said, come on. And we went behind the sacristy, and there was a big Easter dinner that day. Uh -huh. And we drank a six-pack of beer, and everybody couldn't find him to bless the food. <laughs> 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 All right, I'll tell my father Anthony's story. We had just come into the church. It was Bishop Basil's first visit to the parish. Um, and we were still over at the old building over on Longview. Um, and we were having a fish fry and, or something. Anyway, we had a keg of beer out there, which always scandalized my church Christ roommate in college. You know, I got to go get a keg of beer for church. Okay. <laughs> So we're standing around the keg of beer, and um, Bishop Basil walks up, and, and Father Anthony was a deacon still then. And um, he comes up and he says, So, you know, you've gone from being one of many Episcopal parishes on the west side of Fort Worth to being, at the time, the only Western Rite Orthodox parish in the state of Texas. So, so what do you see the mission of, of this parish being? And then Deacon Anthony, uh, who had been standing around the keg for a bit too long, <laughs> says, Take a names and kick an ass for Jesus. Bishop <laughs> <laughs> Basil's like, Okay. Good to know. Good to know. But yeah, one year I gave up alcohol. It was easy because I don't drink much. You know, Dr. Pepper. 
But you know, everybody giving up this or giving up that, we don't, we don't, we don't do that. We all give up the same thing, and that way we all share in the experience. That way we can all relate to each other. But that's what Lent is about. Is about fixing our relationships. You know, in the Eastern Rite, we begin with Forgiveness Sunday. It's about fixing our relationships with each other, or at least starting down that path. You know, not that we ever, ever get mad at each other here at church. <laughs> Thank God I'm not a vestry anymore. Oh, so, <laughs> we, uh, I'll be honest, we had kind of a rough year on vestry. All right, and there were some tempers that flared. Fortunately, though, it never really broke the bonds. We always remembered that we were still all in the same boat. We're all still friends. It didn't really break any relationships. But there have been times in the past that, you know, things happen at church and relationships get broken. Right? Lent is a time to go back and try to repair those. All right? Um, it's also our time to repair our relationship with God. Right? Because we spend, we, we spend more time with him in terms of we have Wednesday night service, we have Friday night service, we have Sunday night service. You know, you'd think we were Baptist at this point. <laughs> so, you know, but, but all of these are opportunities for us to come and worship and make sure that our priorities are straight. You know, what's the single most, and this was almost before I talked about what I talked about today. Uh, what I thought was going to be the theme of my sermon was this. What is the single greatest gift God had given each of us? That differentiates us from any other thing in creation. Free will. Free will. It's what makes us in the image of God. I mean, in the likeness of God, right? We talk about being in the image and likeness of God. That free will is what makes us in the likeness of God. But like any ability or attribute for us to be good with that, we need to what? We need to exercise. You know, just if we want to be a good runner, you know, the Olympics are going on right now. You know, they practice, 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 practice. They exercise, exercise, exercise. But how often do we think about exercising and disciplining our free will? Bishop Basil one time talked about, you know, we Free will gives us liberty to do anything we want. But it doesn't give us license to do anything we want. So Lent is a time for us to exercise. We exercise physically, mentally, and spiritually. We exercise physically with fasting, coming to extra services, you know, um, extra prayer. We exercise mentally and spiritually with fasting and prayer and more, more services. Right? But all of that is a means of self-discipline. All of that is a means of self-control. All of that is a means of exercising our free will. Because what is our aim as Christians? To be Christ-like. Christ and to be Christ-like means to mold our will to be that of the same as God. Because that's why Christ was perfect, right? Christ... Christ had a free will, but his will was, was perfectly in sync with God, the divine will. And if we are to be Christ-like, that's our, you know, we're way out here, you know, but we're trying all the time to bring it back 
and bring our will closer to be that of God. We call that uh, theosis, right? We call that you know, deification. We call that becoming, you know, Christ-like. Lent is the time of year that we we focus on that. We we set aside all the other stuff, you know. Because keep in mind, remember remember what we're imitating during the forty days of Lent. Christ forty days in the wilderness. And what happened to him when he was out in the wilderness? He was tempted. So what are, you know? What's going to happen to us during the next forty days? We're going to be tempted. You know, I love a good cheeseburger. Right? That's temptation. I found out two days ago, the filet of fish was created in 1962 by McDonald's for Catholics who were not supposed to eat fish or meat on Fridays during Lent. You think our fast is easy compared to the Eastern, right? Catholics, oh yeah, on Fridays we won't eat meat. What kind of fast is that? So we're a little tougher. But I think we're a little bit more forgiving, too. You know, I don't know anybody. And it, well, okay, I'll say this. I don't know anybody who's kept the perfect fast. Because you know why? Because if they kept the perfect fast, they didn't talk about it. Because that's part of keeping the fast and not talking about it. Is it a sin to break the fast? No. 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 It's not sinful. It just means we need to try harder. It's disappointing. It's disappointing. But of course, if you have parents like mine, (laughs) wasn't it sometimes, you know, it was easier to break a rule than be disappointing? (laughs) You know, yeah, go ahead and beat me. I don't care. Just don't be disappointed in me. That was the worst. My kids don't mind me being disappointed in them. They just don't like to beat Yeah. All <laughs> <laughs> oh, my dad had to say is, I'd rather you not do that. <clears throat> yeah. Yeah. Dad didn't really say much of all at all. <laughs> you know, that was the worst. Like, just get it over with. Come on. Do something. You know. Any questions, discussion? I'm kind of cutting it short today because of my throat. But and that, and we have pictures, and we have riskies. And... <laughs> <laughs> Might be Dr. Pepper there. Dr. Pepper. Might be Dr. Pepper there. <laughs> Just so you know, I'm a Dr. Pepper-holic, too. Yeah, okay. yeah me too. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, so that's what lets them out. So remember, you know, relationships. Relationships. Relationships with each other, relationships with God. You don't keep the fast. You don't do anything else, but you fix these. You're doing all right. So, all right. Thank you for coming today. Thanks, Peter. Appreciate it.